Hi, everyone. How's everyone doing? Everybody's been, been busy saying hello in the chat. I love hearing where you're all coming from. Uh, say hi if you can if you can hear me, you guys. Hang on one second. I don't we're having a little bit of a technical difficulty here. I'm going to come. Perfect. You can see and hear me. Uh, I'm going to read some instructions from the producer right now and see. Hola, Josh, Heidi. Uh, hang on one second. Hey, Jess. Good Lord. How are you? Are we with everybody? Good to see you. <laughs> yes, I think someone sent a wrong link, but uh, we're all in the same place now, it looks like. Did I look confused, everybody? You did look confused. <laughs> Do I look confused right now? I know. I was trying. Yes. Oh, it is so good to be together. We're here. We made it. Uh, the previous chat has disappeared. Yeah, interesting. You guys know we migrated to the latest version of Crowdcast. Which yes, meant... we're going to get rid of the rest of that. Susie, hi. Allison, hi. Madan, <laughs> hi. Janet, hi. Brad, hi. Anya, hi. Svetlana, hi. Good to see you. Uh, let us know you're here. Give us a thumbs up. We're going to start with our normal question. How are you? Green, yellow, red. Green, great. Yellow, so-so. Red, not so good. Let us know. Perfect. Everyone is saying hi all over again. Green. We got some greens. Awesome. There we go. And Jess, just so you know, we did have a, a special, one of our guests asked for a song today, so I'm going to play it. Excuse me, one of our uh, community members. Ooh. A special request. I love it. That's a good request. For those of you that sent me that request, you know who you are. Um, so anyway, all good. Both of you look as though we're watching you through a soapy window. Interesting. Oh, you see, Leo. Leo is the one that sent me that request. <laughs> um, so I hope everyone is good. Uh, wow. Todd's coming to Mystic Lake, August 17th. Of course, Steve Jewell would know that. Mystic Lake is a place in in Minnesota for everyone that's uh, not joining or doesn't know Minnesota. So welcome to the Now of Work Digital Meetup, episode number 160. It's Friday, June 30th. A few technical difficulties right before we go into the U.S. holiday of July 4th, but uh, we're all, all here. I look soapy. Jess looks fabulous. Uh, that's, my, that's my job in life is to look soapy, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. That's one of the things I dream in life is to look soapy. Um, so I hope everyone's having a great day. And I hope everyone's ready for in the U.S. the fourth holiday. And for those of you not in the U.S., um, I hope you have a great, great weekend. Uh, Jess, how's your week been? Uh, the week has been good. Um, frantically busy. I can hardly keep up with my life some days and my kids and my team and all of it. Um, so it's been good. See that, Jess? I'm cleaning my window so I don't look so soapy. Now, I love it. do I still look soapy? No, it looks good. 
Okay. Awesome. So what's the highlight of your week? I'm actually ready for this question today, Jason. Can you believe it? It's about time. <laughs> it's about time. I could not. Okay. I got to tell a little backstory. I promise this won't take long, but a little backstory. Uh, I used to volunteer for Big Brothers Big Sisters, and I had one little sister the whole time. Her name was Takai. Uh, I started um, as her big sister when she was nine years old, and we were together for four and a half years. Four and a half years. And when you think from like nine to 13 and a half, that is literally the age range of my kids right now. I saw her through all her phases and stages that happened from nine to 13 and a half. And there were some doozies. I have to tell you, she did not have the most ideal uh, environment to thrive in. I did as much as I could to uh, to help her and be there for her and show her as much of the world as possible and all of the things that you would expect a really good big sister or big brother to do. Then we lost contact and she found me again. We lost contact. I tried everything, her grandma, her mom, the agency, like we literally lost contact. She found me about five years later when she needed some help. Uh, and I was happy to be there for her and and uh, kind of be that big sister all over again. This week, so so we've stayed in touch. Now we're in touch. We're never losing each other again. This week, she finished a master's degree with honors in luxury, fashion, merchandising, and business. She has studied in London, Paris, New York. This girl could not be a brighter bulb in the world. And watching her post that news this week, Literally, like, I'm good. I'm good for like months on the wave of that. Such, ugh, just so amazing. So amazing. That is awesome. Like, very, very cool story. Um, I, I don't have as cool of a story to tell. Well, it, everything can't be that cool. Like, that's a big moment, right? Like, when something comes full circle, it took 15 years for that story to come for full circle. And I just, I'm so proud of her. That is a great thing. I wanted to do a couple of things uh, as part of the best parts of my week. And then one thing that's kind of a funny story, but I'll start with a funny story. Uh, for those of you that can see, do you see this thing? <gasps> that's so old school. Oh, no, wait. No, not, not the pen. <laughs> oh, my God. Is that the pen where you can put this? On my, this little red thing up here. Do you see this? Yeah. I was wrestling with my kid and ran into the couch. So that's the first thing, which is just funny to me that I actually did that and uh, got and hit my head on the couch. Um, but this pen is kind of cool, isn't it? Yes, it is old school. Um, <laughs> the second thing that I had that's a really interesting story is one of our great, um, great friends, Lisa Rowan, who was an IDC. Yes. All of her retirement wishes. And I signed her retirement card online today and gave some wishes. So. Yeah. Lisa Rowan from IDC is a legend in the HR analyst space and HR tech space. Um, oh, Suzanne, I'm so sorry you hit your forehead on the sink. I feel better that I just hit it on a couch now. Um, but uh, Lisa Rowan is retiring from IDC, and Lisa's amazing, amazing. If anyone's ever met Lisa or knows Lisa, um, you know, go on LinkedIn and just wish her well. She's not going to disappear. But Jess, you and I were in Boston not that long yeah. ago. And uh, she and I walked to a new Martin Luther King uh, statue in Boston and uh, had an amazing time together. So uh, 
I cherish that moment. So Lisa, I know you're not on, but I wish you well in your uh, in your retirement. You've made an amazing impact on the industry, both as a amazing leader and especially as a woman in tech. Totally. Uh, Naomi Bloom, early on women in HR tech that I uh, have always yeah. looked to. We've got another one of those trailblazers, uh, Lexi Martin, who's retiring in just a couple of months. And we're hosting her retirement party right here. Like we're Yeah, I'm excited about that. Raises and tell her story. Um, yeah, we, we need trailblazers like that for sure. I know Lisa's name. She doesn't know my name. That's a trailblazer. No. The fact that I thank her, and she has no idea who I am, uh, other than we sat in the same room a couple of times, but I, I have people like her to thank for uh, paving the way for people like me. So that's amazing. Congratulations to Lisa. Now she gets to rest a bit. <laughs> yes, for sure. And then the third thing is I have had so many amazing conversations this week about AI. Mm. Yes. And, and it's really, really interesting to me. And I just want to share this with the audience before we bring on our amazing guest today, because I think we may talk about this as well. I hope so. When we talk about AI, and this is just because you can't look at anything without seeing the two letters AI, it's really important to think about it in two different, in a couple panes. For all of us in this whole digital meetup space, we have two things to think about. The impact on HR and the impact on the workforce. Mm -hmm. Because our job in HR is to think about the workforce, we actually have to think about both. But right now it's a little bit cloudy out there when people start talking about AI because people are like, well, what's, what's it gonna mean to an engineer? What's it gonna mean to a doctor? What's it gonna mean to a nurse? Et cetera, et cetera. We need to worry about that in HR. Get it. But we also have to think about what is it, how is it impacting us in HR and how is it going to impact the profession? So it's really important when you have the discussion, when you have the discussion with people and about AI, talk about both what it yeah. means to the workforce, but also what it means to the profession and what it means to the role of HR going forward. You know, I I had an aha moment this morning, Jason. I listened to another show similar to this, but a little different. Uh, for those of you in the recruiting space specifically of this industry, you probably know Hung Lee and his amazing show, Recruiting Brain Food. I listened to his show this morning. He had absolutely brilliant guests on, but they were talking about the global labor market. I cannot wait to ask Neela about this. They were talking about the global market as well as AI and some of the interesting intersections between those two conversations. Uh, and it was the first time I heard somebody say, um, the, the only lens we're looking through this, how AI is changing the future of work and jobs and how people will work. It's a very white collar conversation. We're talking about skilled knowledge workers and all of the things it can do for us, but where there are labor shortages, healthcare, manufacturing, service workers, um, we're not talking enough, perhaps, about how we can fix, you know, labor gaps, workforce gaps, labor shortages, maybe using AI. But but there's like so many intersections of this conversation that make this really, really interesting. I love the comments. Please fill in the chat if you could, because um, while we're waiting for Neela to join, um, you know, Madonna yeah. happens every day. Um, constantly, but primary from the standpoint of quality of data. 
uh, every day, comes up in a lot of conversations. Can we use it? Can we trust it? Um, what are the risks tied to it? So we're going to continue on this path, like every single meetup, it's gonna come up, I can almost guarantee it, where our job is gonna to be to continue to educate people, and educate ourselves, by the way, which is good. <laughs> I know some people question that, but it's good that we all keep learning. But at the same time, at the same time, actually, you know what I think we're gonna do? I think every week now, Jess, mm. we're gonna give a generative AI tip. Oh, I love that. Something to people to try as a way to get people to experiment. Mm -hmm. And we should really publish it to get people to, to try something. Yeah. So my, this time, this time, this week, in our typically unscripted manner, we have this new feature, new segment of our show, Jess. Yeah. Um, I'm going to, oh, look, everyone's saying good idea. Um, go into Bard. Now, all of you that are trying ChatGPT, totally cool. It's a form of generative AI. But in this case, go into Bard and pretend you are an HR business partner or a manager and ask Bard questions about Apple's workforce. Mm. Just yeah. try it. Bard.google.com. Ask Bard about Apple's workforce. How many males versus females work at Apple? What's the average tenure of an employee at Apple? Where do most people that work at Apple go to school? Of the males, how many went to that school? And of the females, how many went to that school? Now, in old world HR, what we're in today, yeah. we run reports. Right. And we were so lucky a couple of weeks ago to have Vizier on with their V generative AI tool. Mm -hmm. The example I'm asking you to do in Bard is exactly how reporting and insights is going to work going forward for HR business partners reporting. LinkedIn has all of that info too, Christine, which is a lot of it where it's coming from. But at the same time, guess what? I'm not, I'm navigating LinkedIn, I'm not having a conversation with LinkedIn. So the data is coming from there, but I, what I'm trying to do is get you guys to play with mm -hmm. the concept of prompt queries and talking and doing queries, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Make Stop. sense? On top of it. Yes. Look at the, uh, from a presentation this week with my friends at Improving, below is a job description. Uh, Svetlana clearly did it. 34.8% of workforce are women, 65.2 are men. Uh, on and on and on and on. Um, just kicking the tires on an early generative AI. So it, keep, uh, it, see it says not publicly available, um, but there's some other sources. And once again, you guys, I'm not asking you to think about this as Apple data. Like, the, the exercise, the purpose of the exercise here is not to pretend that we're doing analytics at Apple because that, that's private data. The point of this exercise is to get you to see how prompt querying is going to be used to be able to run reports going forward. And this is, I mean, you guys, we're at like V1, version one. We're at the, like, using it to write better job descriptions and to have 
write a policy for you or write a communication for the workforce. Yes, of course, those are all the early cases of AI. Authoring content, authoring suggestions, summarizing information, sourcing and summarizing information, check the accuracy and all of that good stuff. This is this is a playground. This is a literal playground. We're not even, well, we're not talking about all of the more advanced use cases. Certainly there are people developing those use cases and it's gonna be like, we're barely scratching the surface of the innovation and truly the advancement of people Advancement of technology should promote advancement of people. Um, and I think that's exactly what we're seeing just barely start to unfold now. Completely, completely agree. So we're going to bring Neela on in a second. And I'm really excited about Neela. Um, one of the things that's so fascinating to me about this conversation that we've started is the conversation about data. Okay. So when we think about data, what we're going to be talking about is we're about to bring on someone who actually studies data for a living. I'm jealous of her job, honestly. Really I'm jealous. Oh my gosh. If like the research she does and the intelligence she's able to produce, like I, I want to ask her when we bring her on what in the world, I'm going to save that question actually. Um, but I could geek out on this stuff all day long. Um, and she does, no doubt. Like even just doing a prep call with her a couple weeks ago, I didn't want to hang up. I could talk about this stuff all day long. It's really important for us to understand. Here's the thing. You can't solution something you can't understand. And we're solutioning a whole lot of things right now. Every The pace of change we all know is faster than we can keep up with. And we're just solutioning like crazy. We're innovating like crazy but truly stepping back and peeling back the layers and making sure we're taking a macro lens at these things. And that's what Neela can help us understand. There are so many macro issues at play, factors at play in terms of the economy and how that differs by geography and the labor market, the actual global availability of labor and how it's being activated. And yes, how we're applying technology and innovation like generative AI to some of these problems, the ripple effects go back and forth. You know, that can solve perhaps some labor shortage and workforce gap um, issues if we automate a few things, if we make humans more efficient. But then there's, again, there's even more ripple effects that happen. Uh, that conversation this morning, by the way, and yes, I, Josh or Steve or somebody called out, Kevin Wheeler was on it, among other brilliant guests. Uh, they really took a future of work lens at these labor and AI kind of interesting intersections that are playing out or that are likely to play out. Really, really great session. I encourage you to go find it and listen to it uh, if you get a chance. So Neela is having some technical problems, uh, Jess. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> trying to get it on her iPad. So uh, let, we will we'll get to that in a second. One of the things that I love about this uh, this space, though, is constantly thinking about the impact that stuff going on outside is having on what's going on inside. So when you're looking at the macro sense of the world, what's going on outside that's affecting jobs? What's going on outside that's affecting recruiting, et cetera, et cetera? And we're seeing things in the like, quote unquote, chips market 
that are impacting things. If anyone's looked at the stock stock market today, which by the way, it's the last day of June, which is the last day of the second quarter, which is the last day of the first half of the year, you know, the stock market's up 285 points today, but NASDAQ is up 200 points. So we're seeing technology continue to drive a lot of this. And if we look at what generative AI is doing, it's continuing to drive a new set of jobs and a new set of capabilities. Now, the thing that I can't wait to talk to Neil about, <laughs> I just got the note saying her phone had some blocks set up that I wasn't <laughs> letting her come on. Um, they're working through the tech issues. But the thing that I'm excited to talk to her about is, hey, Jess, you know what we have to do? Mm-hmm. I think we have to do testing. We have to be formal enough in our process now to get people to test Crowdcast in the future. I always tell people when I pre-call with them, click on the link. Just click on it. Make sure nothing blocks it. But we upgraded. Yes, I think there are so many blocks going on in the world today from a privacy standpoint that it's it's causing issues. Yeah. This is the problem with upgrades, right? Is this regression? Isn't this called regression testing or something like that? Yes, we're doing it live together. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So thank you for the community members. But I'm fascinated by these new jobs, these new jobs that keep popping up and what the impact of that's going to be long-term on the labor market. Hey, there she is! (laughs) Through the magic of technology, I have arrived. But you have to say my name three times, and I don't think you guys did that. You only said it twice, so it's like. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's three then, times for yeah. next time for future reference. It's Neela, then Neela, then Neela, then I appear. Neela, so. <laughs> you're here. I'm so I'm here. glad you're here. Thank you so much. We are just. I have an idea. We're just gonna blow up that old crowdcast. I think we need to. No one sees June 23rd. No one sees any of it. We just have to blow up and move on. (laughs) So, Neela, now we have a shorter window for you, so we're going to jump right in. Yeah. Did you hear what you were talking about, or were you sweating too much about trying to get online? You know, I I never sweat on camera, so um, (laughs) I heard AI. I heard work. um, But let's just go from there. (laughs) So really quickly, tell people, we were talking about how fascinating your job is. Like, mm-hmm. tell people about- Here's the question I was saving for you. This this is your softball. Why okay. would a software company, one of the largest and best in the world, ADP, why would a software company have a research institute? There you go. What does Neela get to do every day? <laughs> it's about data, but it's, you know- you all know us as a software company, but we have a growing brand at ADP at the ADP Research Institute in creating data-driven insights, knowledge, and information. Some people, believe it or not, see us as an information provider. Because when you pay one in six workers in the United States, when you have over 25 million workers domestically, over 40 million around the world, pay data, there's a lot that you can say that goes well beyond the walls of ADP. And it's really about the mission of the, the company to show up when needed when it comes to paychecks, but now to show up when needed when it comes to data and information about the world of work. And let's face it, coming out of the pandemic, we need it now more than ever because everything has changed. Everything is rotated off its axis, and it's likely that that uh, off-axis rotation continues with AI. So I think that um, ADP is really positioned here 
to provide its data. And it does so through the Research Institute as a public good. We don't charge for this stuff. Um, we just want to give back because when the labor market does better, everybody does better. And so that's what we recognize as a company. And that's what I get the privilege of doing every day is working with data scientists to elicit information about the world of work. I, yeah, love, I love that, Neela. And it's so funny that Jess even said as a software company. To me, it was funny when she said that because I was like, software company? I don't think of ADP as a software company, which is fascinating that you said that, Jess. Now, you may have just done that to... Giving us all fodder to play with. <laughs> exactly. You might have just done that to elicit, but I was like, wow, really, really interesting that you said that. And I already, I think of ADP, it's quite kind of funny. Like, that's an interesting question we should ask everyone. Actually, let's do that in the chat. When you... Listening. Let's do it for Ted. <laughs> when you hear ADP, what's the first thing you think of? Great question. A fascinating question. But Neela, as people are ans answering that, my next question for you is all around what we're seeing today. So we're seeing crazy, look at all the people saying payroll. We're seeing crazy stuff in the market when it comes to jobs, hiring, uh, people making choices about leaving companies faster than ever before. We're seeing people saying it's harder to find talent. We're seeing, hey, guess what? People are leaving companies. We're reading about layoffs. So at any given day, if you look at the media, which I have a fascinating time thinking about your job, trying to balance data with the media, how do you, I'd love for you to give our community some advice as to how to think through all of that. Oh, that's great. You know, um, as as the voting continues on what ADP is in the world of work, I, I had um, the privilege of touring our paycheck distribution center and our operations. And let me tell you, um, I think there could be some heterogeneity and responses just because ADP has been around so long, 70 years, almost 75 and the payroll industry has changed tremendously. I mean, we're not just a distribution channel anymore. We're not just a payroll company anymore. But HR itself has changed. And mm -hmm. the company has developed this industry and expanded this industry and grown along with this industry. So the industry's changed. What is HR? Um, we could ask that question and see what kind of responses you get. But mm -hmm. to your question about what's going on, I mean, there's a lot of things. Uh, I'll give you a quick take on the CNBC response, and then we can drill down into the HR response. The CNBC response is that the recession has been like, where's Waldo? Nobody can find it. Everybody's talking about it. There is no piece of the economy that looks like it's falling off the cliff. And that's perplexed people because for the last two years, people have been talking about recession, isn't here, doesn't look like it's coming. However, the labor market is the main reason why. This has been an incredibly strong labor market um, after 2022, but it's also very fragmented. And so you see those firms that hire deeply and strongly during the heart of the pandemic, they're backing off those hiring numbers now. And those are the big headlines. But where we see in the data is that small firms are picking up the slack. Where the large companies left off, the small firms are now hiring. They're hiring in droves. They're keeping this labor market afloat. Heck, Main Street is keeping the entire economy afloat right now. And so you're seeing both cases to be the the truth, 
layoffs are hitting the headlines, but they're not part of the overall numbers. If you look at actual data on macro layoffs, they're still quite small. Why? Because small firms are doing that hiring now. I love that perspective, Wall Street versus Main Street. Um, I know I'm guilty of this. I have a little bit of a narrow lens thinking about U.S. numbers. I talk about the labor market. I talk about hiring trends. So I'm, I'll just speak for myself, but perhaps more of us are guilty than that. Give us a global, sometimes I have to challenge myself to pull up and take a global view and understand how things are different or the same in other regions. What's going on in the global labor market. We know about, you know, too many people retiring and dying, not enough being born, you know, <laughs> as many babies as we used to. Like, what is, what's that picture and what does it mean for people who work? And Paul, we're going to get to your question because it's a really good question because I want Neela to respond to that as well. I think it's really important to look outside the U.S. borders. Why? Because a lot of the trends that we think are are just US-based or not. Let me tell you one trend that's just US-based, the whole great resignation that was only in the US. Um, we can talk about that later. I think that trend is basically over. Um, but a lot of these trends that we're tracking are global in nature. What does that mean? That means they're persistent. It's not just about this cycle. It's about the next 10 years. So what's persistent? Well, persistently we're seeing labor shortages. Persistently, we're seeing a fall off in labor force participation, especially in advanced economies uh, where people are older and are retiring. Um, we're seeing the rise in internet savviness. So 50% of the world uh, population now has access to the internet. Whole business models are being uprooted by the digital economy. That's going to have a focus uh, that applies directly to people. We're seeing labor uh, where the workforce is growing. It's not in North America. The US is less than 5% of the global workforce. And yet we create a quarter of the world's output. Think about that, quarter of the world's wealth and output, 5% of the population. So where do we source people to create that other 20% of stuff? Well, uh, increasingly, it's going to be outside of the U.S. 57% of the workforce is in Asia. You know, that's going to be an implication over the long term. Productivity, last trend I'll point to, productivity has been in a decline in the U.S., but around the world. Okay, one more. Inflation's still around, and that affects wages everywhere. Uh, so you see that there's all these different factors that are global. They're not going to go away in the next six months. We're not going to suddenly get younger. Though I, someone did tell me that in Korea, they're looking at a law that reduces the actual age of everyone by one to two years. And I'm like, let's do that here. That's like bipartisan. I would love to be two years younger just so that. <laughs> and the goal here is so people can work longer past 65, but not really be 65. I just think that's interesting. <laughs> okay, that's, that's crazy. And then some of the things that are happening. Okay, there's many <laughs> to go down. Some of the things yeah. that are happening that affect what you just said. I don't know. Do we want to go to AI now? So what you like, we're working more, we're producing incredible output, but productivity is on the decline. How can we possibly work more in productivity beyond the decline? Is AI going to fix this or hurt this? I think it's the biggest puzzle out there. Yeah. Um, why in terms of growth rates, People are growing the number of hours they're working and producing less 
uh, growth. And we've got done this cycle for the past five quarters. That's the only time in the history of these numbers going back to 1949 that this has happened. Maybe so with you, all this- Could you say that again? Because I think it's, I just want to call it out because it's a very important okay. line. So, so for the past five quarters, we've had negative productivity growth. And productivity growth is really simple to, to at least think about conceptually. It's just output per worker. So the growth in that number has declined for five consecutive uh, quarters. That's hasn't happened in the entire history of this data series kept by the BLS since 1949. In fact, last year in aggregate was the lowest growth rate we've seen since the time period of this data, 1949. So it's a puzzle. Why is it a puzzle? Well, there's one explanation. Maybe economists are measuring it wrong. We don't really measure everything. I always pick up my phone. I mean, is this a phone? You can do your payroll on this thing if you're an ADP client. You can do your taxes. You can take pictures of your kids. Maybe if we just call this a phone, we're not measuring all the, or maybe it's our phones that make us less productive. <laughs> so it's either or. Um, but maybe we're measuring it wrong. Maybe it's too soon for uh, the businesses to really capture innovation. Or maybe we just don't have the skills or the operational model at the business level to really propel innovation in, in a way that makes workers more productive. If that's the case, then there's still a lot of work to do. Skill develop, development, business operations, not only to innovate, but to adopt. Those are two totally separate activities. Innovation can happen with nobody using it. And I think that's where we are right now. It's fascinating. And there's some questions that I want to get to. Um, and if you see the comments, Neil, I don't know. Some people can do a, Some people can read comments and talk at the same time. Some people can't. Um, but if you look, productivity is not equal to profits. That was an interesting comment that was just thrown out there. One of the things that was asked a little bit ago um, by Paul was, how does ADP see the GDP forecast for the rest of this year? Um, we should put a disclaimer that this isn't stock advice by any means. Uh, but love your thoughts on that. I mean, what do you what do you think? Productivity is an input into profit. Yeah. So I don't want to leave that untouched. Um, and the great thing about productivity is it's actually deflationary. When you can produce more and pay less for it and have less inputs, that's deflationary. Productivity also does something else. It allows workers' wages to grow and profits to grow at the same time. There's no sacrifice here. It increases the overall standard of living. And in fact, there's only one way, two ways that economies grow over time. Um, there are more workers and those workers get more productive. That's it. That's simple. Always true. So in terms of the second half of, of the year, it's likely to be slower uh, than the first half. If you look at the, that upward surprise in the last uh, revised data of quarter two economic growth, we saw that it went up to 2%. That was a big surprise. Consumers are very resilient and they've been spending well. That's unlikely to continue in the second half of the year. So that's what people are watching, the consumer. In fact, I always watch the consumer. So goes the consumer, so goes the economy. And the consumer has um, dealt with inflation as well as it can be expected, but it's starting to take a toll. 
We're seeing those interest rates that the Fed keeps trying to raise and slow the economy and take an effect on mortgages, on credit card bills. So right when people are going to start, you know, losing their cushion from all those direct payments during the COVID relief plan, credit card rates have gone up. And then we just got the news about student loan forgiveness. A lot of people didn't have to, for three years, you didn't have to pay your student loans. That's going to bite some people now that they have maybe a big mortgage and now a student loan payment. So I expect that that financial um, you know, constraints that, you know, some of those relief packages helped with are going to pick up in the second half of the year, curb spending. One other thing I, I, I don't like to say on this, though, people are spending more on services. Mm. And so where we're seeing inflation hit is in wages tied to the service sector. So if that continues, people don't buy computers anymore, but still go to their favorite restaurant, mm. uh, still take vacations. We're likely still to see inflation be strong even in the second half of the year, even if consumers stop spending overall. So fascinating. Welcome to my world. It's great to be in the economy. Jess usually has another question, but she's just I can go if you want. <laughs> go ahead, Jess. Uh, my question, my, actually, no, I want to ask one more question. So when you, Neela, do you look at the stock market? Like, what is the, what is the, what is the correlation? between the stock market and how good or bad the economy is and the job market is? So uh, again, full disclosure, I'm actually an investment strategist on the side. So I, I'm you know, registered to, to give stock advice, though I, I never do. I don't want to be accountable for that. But um, <laughs> um, so I do look at the stock market. You have to, but I look at it a little differently than than like someone who's in the market looking to make a trade. So the Wall Street is about 10 to 11% of the overall economy. That means most of the economy is Main Street. Why is the stock market helpful? It really determines the cost of borrowing for businesses and consumers. So looking at in the lens of the cost of capital, how easy it is to raise money for small businesses, what the private credit looks, market looks like, what the bond market looks like for retirees, people who are trying to save, how easy it is for the Fed to deploy their policy through the capital markets, what the capital markets do when rates rise or when they fall, that all trickles back down to Main Street. So when I look at you know, Wall Street, when I look at stock prices, except my own, ADPs, I have a vested personal interest in that one. Um, uh, I look at it from the lens of how is that going to affect the consumer, either by increasing the amount of their mortgage payment or their credit card debt or, you know, all the other borrowing costs that people are faced with, and how does it affect small businesses? Okay. <clears throat> I'm going to pull a little bit of a pin out of a grenade here with this next one. Okay, so when we talk about um, we talk about a lot of things to help people uh, thrive at work, be more productive, uh, get more productivity, more business gains out of people. We talk a lot about that. And we talk about workforce experience, culture, DEI, well-being, like those are a lot of the levers we pull to achieve a lot of those things. Let's just say that that feels in, in this 
spirit of kind of having a broader, bigger conversation about what's happening in the world and how we prepare for the future of work, that feels a little bit like shooting styrofoam darts at like a rolling tank. That's not like making people happier at work. I'm just going to throw this out there and we'll play with it. Isn't going to solve workforce gaps. It's not going to skill people overnight. It's not going to create global labor that doesn't exist today. Like it's not going to fill healthcare positions that are sitting empty. Like it's not enough. It's, it's important, but it's not enough. If I'm a business leader and I have to prepare a future workforce, I have to like make it appear and have it be exactly what I need for the business in the future. And I'm thinking that way. What is going to solve the problems we know exist? It's hmm, a great question. I agree. Yeah. There's a ways to make. Before you answer that, I want to talk about the other half of the ADP Research Institute, which is Marcus Buckingham, um, that some of you may know, and he's been a guest on this show before. He and Neela do an amazing job of mirroring the engagement of the workforce, the sentiment of the workforce, with some of those topics that Neela was talking about. So I just wanted to give that quick plug for what you're doing at the Research Institute. Thank you for that plug, because I think at the Research Institute, we think it's really important to concentrate on how people feel because that translates to what people do. There is the symbiotic relationship between feelings and actions, and they're usually not paired together. But during the pandemic, feelings and actions were at the forefront. People felt attacked. They felt this people shock known as the pandemic, and it led to the biggest turn we've ever seen in U.S. history with the Great Resignation. That was psychological, led to an economic impact. So there is a synergy here that we really need to push on when we do research. Uh, to answer your question, then, is both, right? It's however you define happiness. I mean, for me, happiness may not be in the workplace all the time. That's true. And maybe what makes me happy at work like catered lunches and, you know, I had, I worked for an employer that had this, they would like bring in a masseuse to give us shoulder rubs from time to time. I'm like, that was happiness. I don't, maybe that made me a better worker. I don't think it did, to be honest, but it's not just about happiness. It's about engagement. And if you look at sentiment surveys, there's some really actionable stuff on what people need to feel engaged. One, they need a caring workplace. They need to feel like their employer cares about them personally. And there is, especially for small businesses, ample opportunity to make your employee feel like they belong there and you want them there. Two, they need to get paid fairly. No one wants to feel like they're losing ground to, to, to other colleagues or they're not being paid their worth. Uh, Paying people appropriately for your business, for your industry, makes sense in terms of whatever this concept of happiness that we're striving for. They want to see that kind of fairness. We're seeing in our global data a more of a focus on career progression and enjoying a day's work. Well, enjoyment, we can quibble with what that looks like, but some sort of skills and training and promotion. Actually, we see in our data that very few companies promote their workers. We looked at 51 million workers and 93,000 employers over a five-year period, less than 5% of those workers were promoted in the two years they were with the company. So it's a very small fraction of people who actually get promoted. Um, about the same percentage actually got training. 
So here's something that we as employers could do to get people to be more engaged. And then the, the final thing that people are, are looking for, especially after the pandemic, is a bit of autonomy, trust, and flexibility. They want to be able to juggle their work and their other parts of their lives. Maybe it's not remote work all the time, but if I need to take off to get a sick kid to the doctor, it's not a deal. I don't lose my 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 job or I don't lose my wages. I think that is consistent with making a workforce engaged and feel like they have a place in this space. Yeah, I love that. I used to call that letting people work like adults, but also the flexibility yeah. is let me work on my own terms. That might mean uh, I mean, we're, we're stuck in, in sort of this mindset around the five-day work week, the 40-hour work week, certain shifts and schedules and synchronous working, not, you know, we're sort of stuck in this in these old mindsets where there aren't um, that many changes that would be required to do, like a little bit goes a long way when it comes to offering flexibility that would uh, allow people to show up in, in ways that work for them and could make them more value producing and contributing. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Just a, one quick follow up to Jess is like, now change is a choice. You know, the pandemic made us all do everything differently in sync and lockstep. But now it's just going to pretend on the uh, depend on the industry and the company. So change is a choice. And I think flexibility is one of those menu of options that a company can say, hey, we can't do everything for you, but we can do this. This job sharing, four day work week, we can let you like leave for, you know, your kids events. We can work it out for you because we care about you and we want you to stay here. I think that shows that you respect them, not just as a worker, but as a full person. Mm -hmm. Lila, one of the things I was going to ask you, um, and I think it's so fascinating, I like truly People always ask me, why do I spend one or two hours a week doing this, what I'm doing right here? And it's because I learn so much from people like yourself. When you think about this concept of like the four-day work week, you just brought it up and it was brought up in the chat. So I want to make sure I talk about it. Um, like the concept of a four-day work week, there are people, and I've heard people say this, that say, hey, guess what? That's going to lower productivity because it's four days instead of five days. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think it's going to depend on the business. I agree. I yeah. think it's going to depend on the role. Um, I'm, you know, it, I don't think it's the solution for everyone, but I don't think it's the solution for no one either. And yeah. I think that's the, this is where things get interesting. When I first started this journey with ADP in November of 2020, I thought to myself, okay, for the next, I don't know how long, all we're going to talk about is getting those 20 million jobs that walked out back. But then the interesting stuff happens. Once those jobs get back and we are permanently imprinted by the pandemic, what happens next? Because then we're going to get a lot of heterogeneity in our responses. There are going to be CEOs who say, hey, you know, it's five days a week. It's eight hours, 10 hours a day. And then there are going to be people like, we never need to see you. <laughs> as long as you do your work, I don't care when you do your work, it's fine. And everything in between. And I think we're at that space right now that this is not a settled debate between employer and employee. This is an ongoing negotiation. We're going to see a lot of different change. But the good point of that is we're going to see a lot of proof points. Hopefully there'll still be continuous learning 
people are going to be able to point to a company or an industry who made something work and then adopt that. And so I'm hopeful that there'll be a little experimentation, but with patience as we all try to refigure out our place at work. There's a great question from Paul that just came in and I'm just gonna paraphrase for you, um, which is, does a great resignation, the sequel arrive mm -hmm. after this economic economy malaise? That we're in right now, which I'm not sure we're in an economy malaise necessarily, but because I still see a lot of resignation happening, maybe not as much as earlier. But what are your thoughts on that? I think um, it's easier to quit quit than ever before. There's a lot of transparency with job postings. A lot of people are willing to do, or employers are willing to do remote interviews. Um, you're borders, remote work is really a game changer. So you're not, your market as an employer has expanded, but so as a worker, your your overall market has uh, expanded. So it's likely as pay transparency laws, for example, you can actually see what people are making in different industries that could prompt you to make changes. Um, so all of these things will lead to um, some churn in the labor market. Um, before all of these tech innovations, churn was really driven by um, geographic mobility. Now we're talking about digital mobility. People aren't moving much, but they're able to work at, <laughs> some people can work almost anywhere. Uh, and I think that is a change in the market. So, but I don't think we're going to see the level of turnover. Like if you were a company with 30 people in it, you might've seen a hundred workers in a given year because there was so much turnover. And that's why I'm really encouraged about the current labor market numbers. It's not just replacing headcounts, not just churn. These are businesses who are growing, not replacing, growing, and that growth is good for the economy. So um, yeah, we're, we're pivoting a little with the great resignation, but uh, it's likely to stay elevated, but um, we're definitely in a different kind of place. So I've called it the big stay. Um, mm. I can be challenged on that. That's fine. But, you know, the quits are down 17% quarter on quarter. We see it in our own data. It's definitely been a step level change down than the height of the, the uh, 2022 when it was up so high. So Neela, one of the things yesterday that I saw on your website, which by mm. the way, I put a link over here to the ADP Research Institute, was a headline caught my eye, caught my eye. And it said, when using AI to predict pay, context matters. Yeah. And there's something on your website called the Data Lab. And I'd yeah. love for you to talk about that quickly, because I think I for all of the people over that are saying, wow, this is fascinating, I love this. Like, I want you to talk about the resources that you offer, and then this concept of ADI, excuse me, AI to predict pay. Yeah. Um so that article that you're referencing is by a data scientist, Ben Hanawell and Tim Decker on my team. And they have done a really good uh, experimentation just to make a point about what AI can bring to the table and what AI can miss off the boat. So they, I think they, they tried to price using a, 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 a stylistic model. So something just made to show a point nothing that goes into product or anything like that. Um, what would be the pay of a wizard? You can actually train a model on that and get a real number. Here's the problem. Um, that's not a professional job. <laughs> so, and, and what does an apprentice wizard get? 
So that was just to show you that, yeah, we have all these tools, but we have to add human intellect and intuition and actual real data and around these tools to make them make sense. And so that is uh, the, the question that, that that particular piece invites us to think about conceptually. But the data lab itself, I'm so excited about it. We released it this year. And this is a place of experimentation with data. We wanted to show all the things that you could do with ADP data, whether it's jobs data or payroll data or occupation data or um, HR statistics data. We wanted to make that data relevant to other people. Um, we have plans to make it more interactive so that practitioners can go and play around with this data. And we wanted to, to call it a data lab because it is experimental. It's, it's about innovation. And I think that's the place that we're all coming from right now is like a lot has changed. No one has the right answers, but data helps us find that path. And so we wanted to offer this uh, to practitioners who are looking for some data insights that they can kind of tailor themselves. So really excited about the data lab and we plan to build on it. Uh, Steve has a good question. He listened to the same episode I did this morning. Will AI increase, we talked about productivity and human output or mm -hmm. let's just say output, human or human assisted, assisted yeah. output. Will AI increase productivity so workers can take back some time, live more, work less? I, that's, I mean, it's an interesting thing. Should AI produce more, like, should I be able to produce more output because I'm assisted by AI, meaning my value and productivity and contribution increases, or should I be actually be able to work less because there are machines and robots and automation doing, creating the output the world needs? It's an interesting you know, This question was anticipated by um, Maynard Keynes like decades and decades ago um, with that tech innovation. You didn't know about AI would make us all so productive that we would be looking at a 15 hour work week. That was, you know, the expectation back then. So yeah, there's a lot of folks who say that AI will cut off two hours of our day. We'll have more leisure time. We can chill out more and, you know, all the, the work stress and health effects will go down. Like there's the promise of AI. And that seems to me like a fantastic long-term vision. On the short term though, let's be realistic. We're talking about a huge transformation in the world of work, and that transformation could lead to job loss, mm -hmm. even as much as it look, uh, leads to job enhancement. So to me, I don't think any of this is sorted out yet. I think it's still um, a direction. So we have two paths that are shaping up in response to AI and technology more, and more generally. We have um, a path towards labor-saving technology, and a path towards labor enhancing technology. And as a society, we get to make a choice here. And I think that obviously being on the side of labor enhancing, and I'll go a step further, labor inclusion, because my hope is that AI makes it possible for the labor market to broaden. Yes. Um, remember when I said economies grow when there's more workers and there's more, let's focus on that more workers. I, I have a brilliant friend who can't work physically, she can't do the commute, can't be in the office, but everything's here. I hope that AI keeps her in the labor market. People who are, you know, 
what we call retirement age, but still want to work, but maybe don't want the health experiences of the daily commute. I hope that AI reaches those people, uh, people who have different neurological makeup or any kind of uh, physical differences. I hope that AI helps them um, be included in what we call the labor supply that's productive. So I hope that we get that AI enhancing benefit. And I think, um, you know, Having a long-term view of technology, especially if you think, as I do, that labor shortages will be persistent, means that AI could really fill that gap for all of us. Mm-hmm. I love that you just tied those two things together. Yeah. Um, because I don't think a lot of people do. And I, I want to make sure that, that, that <laughs> there's so many times I want to have a pause in these to be able to say, get, make sure you note that. Yes. For everyone saying AI is going to lose jobs, and AI is going to change jobs, no doubt. But what happens with it is up to us. And how do we open those doors for new people to enter the workforce? How do we make sure that we're designing work, leveraging tools to make sure those people enter the workforce? That's up to us. Like that's it doesn't just happen. Yeah. Technology is not going to make that happen. That's up to us. And I think that that's a great rallying cry. Absolutely. It could be a tool. And if you think about a tool, they're neither good or bad. You could take a hammer and wipe out somebody's house, totally destroy it, or you could build a house with a hammer. It's just a tool. And mm-hmm. so to think that AI is anything more or anything less than a tool, I think you you might start treating it differently. Like this is like something that's preordained. It's not not the choice how you use that tool yeah Yeah. so great so neela thank you so much for joining us we're at the the hour uh, with our time uh sorry about the technical difficulties um i hope we'll come back again please um because we'd love to you know hear updates as to what we're seeing i think that more than ever i mean i i look at how fast this changes you know, and I like, I, first of all, I was thinking about when you said 15 hour week, like, I know how much you love your job. You couldn't work 15 hours a week, right? Like, I think <laughs> I try to shrink it to 15 hours a day sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you'd go crazy. You'd go crazy. Um, you know what? I, I, I am confident that I would fill that time very well with leisure. <laughs> <laughs> if given the opportunity, I would love to have that challenge. <laughs> Yes, Paul, I agree. We probably do need to take this sort of macro view of things like on a more frequent basis. And Neela, if you would be a repeat guest, we would absolutely love that. Oh, I enjoyed the conversation so much. So I would love to join. I wouldn't even send my avatar for you all. I'd join <laughs> live in person. And now that we have the tech um, figured out, I feel yes. like we should at least do one more repeat on that. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for being here. I hope you have a great holiday. Thank you. Thanks. You too. It was a pleasure. Yeah. Bye. Jess? Yes. That was a fascinating discussion. So fascinating. The funniest thing for me is that Neela, for the first time in 160 episodes, left you speechless. (laughs) You were like, (laughs) you were like, yeah. I really am. I, I, I super geek out on this stuff. I love listening to, um, I, I don't listen to podcasts as much as you do, but when I see like Hung going live this week, talking about AI labor and the future of work, like I'm so fascinated by this conversation. It's such a big 
like yarn ball of yarn to untangle. Uh, it's really interesting to to watch it. You see the people laughing that I said I left you speechless, and Steve said, "Well, that won't happen very often." That's right. See, when I'm, I'm not... that means that means it's stuck in here, and I'm just looking for the right words. <laughs> yes. Oh, she hi left. guys. Yeah, yeah, I never left it. I just want to thank you. It was a great conversation. And um, now that, that my computer let me on, it's not going to let me off. But thank you again. Lila, now, look, she's, uh, now, oh, this is great. Well, we can Anyway, I, I'm going to let you go. It was just, when did it come go. out? Oh, my God, I love that. Oh, that, was awesome. that was awesome that she came. Taylor Swift encore. I love yeah. it. Exactly. Well, Jess, have a great holiday. Everyone have a great holiday for those that celebrate, for that don't. Have a great weekend and uh, look forward to talking next week. Jess, you'll be in Minneapolis next week? I am in Minneapolis next week. week I will be live in Eugene, Oregon. Oh, Oregon, yeah. Oregon, Oregon. Mm -hmm. I'm flocking there. I'm flocking there to, send, to bring my duck to uh, orientation. So oh, uh, excited about that. So I'll be joining from there. I love it. Have a great holiday, everyone. Take care. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.